Hello and welcome to Office Hours with EAB. We're excited today to welcome three enrollment experts from different schools and backgrounds to talk about summer melt. In an average summer, somewhere between 5 and 20% of new admits to a university tell the school they intend to enroll, some even pay a deposit, but then never show up on campus. This is definitely not going to be an average summer. Our guests urge listeners not to be in such a hurry to return to the pre-pandemic orientation and summer engagement playbook, but to apply lessons learned from last summer to augment in-person events and advising sessions going on now. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Well, hello and welcome to Office Hours with the AB. My name is Madeline Rainier and I'm an EAB enrollment expert, helping partners succeed after spending most of my career leading admission strategy and execution for a couple of colleges and universities. Today, we're gonna to talk about summer melt, an unwelcome occurrence that every enrollment leader faces. On average, between five and 20% of incoming students who indicate they intend to enroll and perhaps even pay to deposit never show up on campus. It's likely to be another unpredictable summer as we approach the new academic year. But today I'm joined by two exceptional enrollment leaders who aren't taking MELT for granted. They represent two universities whose market segments and approaches to battling summer MELT are very different, and both are absolutely knocking it out of the park. I'm gonna ask them to introduce themselves, tell us a little bit about their roles and their institutions. Kelly, will you start? Absolutely, hello, Madeline. My name is Kelly Lorenzi. I'm the Associate Vice President for Enrollment Management at Robert Morris University. Uh, we're located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and we enroll about 5,000 students. So we're a, a medium-sized private university right in the southwest corner of the state. And I oversee all the recruiting operations for traditional freshmen and transfer and graduate doctoral, um, the whole variety, whole spectrum of, of segments for the university. My name is Jenny. How about you? Oh, my name is Jenny Sawyer. I'm the executive director of undergraduate admissions at the University of Louisville. We are a medium-sized public university, um, one of the two research one institutions um, in the Commonwealth of Kentucky and located in the largest metropolitan area in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Serve a very diverse population. Thank you both, Kelly and Jenny. Um, I would just say that um, when I uh, had the opportunity to think about this podcast, Jenny and Kelly were the first two people that came to mind, because in the ongoing conversations we've had this year, their capacity to not only um, represent institutional interests, but always putting students and student success first has really stood out in my mind. So I know that they're going to have some amazing insights to share with you today. So let's get to it. Um, uh, Jenny, maybe you could start, kick off with this question. So how is your experience from last summer and then what you learned during COVID in the last academic year, how's that shaping your plans for student orientation and engagement activities this summer? And are there things that you're keeping from pre-COVID onboarding and orientation? And then what new things are you adding? So um, last summer, because we had to pivot so quickly and when, you know, in the Commonwealth, we went completely shelter in place, we moved to um, basically two components, a module component uh, where students did like a virtual orientation and then um, a one-on-one -on -one advising appointment, okay? Um, what we 
new that we tried to do, but we knew we were really lacking and we needed to add as almost like a, it's a mandatory component is, is really that live type of interaction with current students. So we have a very strong student orientation team of student leaders. Um, it's one of the most highly regarded positions on our college, on our campus. Um, and we know that that was, um, that was missing out of last summer. So we have added a component uh, this summer that takes that into consideration. Um, it's still virtual, but it is a live session. Uh, the leaders were trained on how to do those. Those have, those have, those have been very popular. The students have been more engaged than what we thought uh, they might have been. And then uh, yesterday we kicked off uh, what we call office hours with the student orientation team. So they're um, they're reaching out to the students and having one-on-one -on -one type of conversations. And they've got open hours where the the students can either call them or you know virtually have a meeting with them or even come to campus um, and meet with them. So that's that's one of the things is that peer-to-peer type of connection that that happens um, that we added into this year that um, you know but we're we're really anxious to be back to just our, our full you know day and a half uh, overnight orientation program which is our typical experience that we've had and fine-tuned over the years next summer so you're not doing that this summer Jenny it's, no, it's so, so we're not so we we really did have um you know when we had to make a call on that uh, because of the number of, of of freshmen and all of the logistics of that uh, we were still getting some um, struggle with our advising for the advising piece um, being um, in per you know being in person and so that kind of drove the the decision which um, I wish had been different I think we all wish had been different well you know it is what it is in, yeah, in February there was still you know questions about what the vaccine would roll out would be particularly for 17 year olds um, and from people coming from all over, you know, the United States. So we we took a conservative approach um, when it comes to that, um, and that has been the 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 Commonwealth's um, decisions when it came to how we did business, whether it be restaurants, bars, universities. We've taken a conservative approach all along, and and because of that, you know, we've had a we've had a pretty low um, positivity rate. That's great. That's the good news. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So Kelly, tell us what's happening at RMU. So we, um, you know, I echo a lot of what Jenny says, you know, last year we all got, um, I'll use the, the highly overused word of the year, which is pivot. And we had to do tremendous amount of pivoting last year to essentially put our orientation program online. And from the admission side, the recruiting side had to really do away with what we know have been incredibly effective face-to-face, um, -face, in-person, again, peer-to-peer -peer, um, types of on-campus opportunities for the incoming freshman class. So, you know, that was very, very challenging for us because the type of school we are, the type of campus we are, um, we know that um, our students getting onto campus physically is a huge part of, of um, how we close the deal, I guess you could say, and um, as it is for a lot of schools. But we, we really were lacking that face-to-face uh, -face component last year. So this year, we really kind of supercharged that initiative um, and didn't go even back to what we did pre-COVID. We, we took the whole, what we call pre-orientation, um, kind of flipped it on its head and said, you know, this really needs to be um, an early look at the fun side of campus, reminding students that we are getting back to business this fall. And so we went extremely aggressive with face-to-face um, -face events, 
um, really geared toward getting the students here with our other students, our current students, um, get them engaged uh, and learn about um, life as a student, being part of the community. Um, they got to go into their physical residence halls where they will be housed. We were lucky enough to be able to add that component. So they went to these um, sessions together as little pods or communities to see their building together, meet building mates while they were here for one of the events. Um, we just did everything that we could to create sort of a community environment, really trying to make that kind of that stickiness for the students and the families. You know, we did a big lunch on the lawn and we had an ice cream truck and, and lawn games and all the student organizations were there. Um, again, we had to follow obviously the PA state guidelines. So we did everything sort of within line of having to cap events and social distancing and doing all the things that we needed to do. But we were fortunate that when um, it started to be time to roll these events out, the state was starting to get a little bit less restrictive, which enabled us to bring folks in, do it safely, um, do it masked in some instances, um, if need be, um, as per the requirements of the CDC and the state. But we were able to put those events together and give those, you know, our incoming class what they've been, I think, starving for the whole year, which is a fun celebratory way to take that next step um, and get ready for college because they've, they've lacked that so much. And as a mom of a student who graduated last year, I can tell you, these kids are really starving for those opportunities. And, and we heard it loud and clear with this freshman class and the parents and the students who came in are just, you know, they've been grateful. They've been energized about the experience, about getting their kids onto campus in the fall. Um, and they just really just a lot of people are just thanking us. Thank you for opening up. Thank you for being here. Thank you for, you know, welcoming our students and, and showing us that there's a light and they're going to have this this really great, um, great beginning to what what was not a great end to a school year last year, unfortunately. So um, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of let's pivot again and change it and tweak it every single program. But we've got our last one actually coming up here soon. And um, it should be another full house and um, the, the feedback's been great. And I think it's created a really good stickiness and affinity. Students are, are meeting our students and meeting others on campus and, and, and really kind of um, reassuring them that, yeah, this is, this is the right choice. This is where I belong. It was just a good opportunity to reaffirm for them um, that they chose the right place. So we, we were lucky to be able to, to do that, as I know many schools just are in places where they just couldn't. Um, so we feel lucky. What I appreciate about what both of you have shared is, um, uh, first of all, the role that you have um, allowed your current students, your ambassadors to play. I love, you know, Jenny talking about at Louisville, that it's one of the most prized positions on campus. You know, you get students who love the institution and, and can't wait to share their, their appreciation for it and, you know, all the inside scoop with um, with new students. And I, and I also think, um, I appreciate that there are some business practices that need to occur that are part of the onboarding process. But it feels to me that sort of in the pre-COVID years, a lot of orientations were a little bit more about the um, formalities and the business processes and a little bit less about the fun. And what I'm hoping is, is that maybe one of the enduring silver linings of COVID, I'm always looking for silver linings, is that, um, that there can be a balance between the two. Um, and that you can really allow your current uh, your current students to shine and have this you know great presence and leadership role, and students can still get the business done that they need to do, but that they can do it in an environment that is more celebratory and less like okay you know these are these check boxes because nobody loves check boxes and they love fun and they love connecting with their own new classmates and they love connecting with their peers. Yeah, I agree, Madeline. I I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I just want to add you know one of the things too that I would encourage all all folks in enrollment. Um, to think about is, you know, as you unpack this year, 
to, to look at what you did that worked and what didn't, you know, and, and not be afraid to get rid of the stuff that you don't like to do anymore, get rid of the stuff that didn't work this year, but really pay close attention to what did work and do more of it. You know, don't be afraid to, to say, you know, COVID taught us this, let's replicate it, do more of it, because I, I don't imagine we will ever be going back to that um, transactional environment um, of, a, of an event or a program of any kind. We did, as you said, all the behind the scenes for scheduling and um, all the kind of box checking got done behind the scenes so the students could just come and hear speakers and go to the residence halls and, and have a picnic on the lawn and have a good time. Um, and that was really what we wanted them. We, we called it day one because we wanted them to realize this was your first day. This is day one at RMU um, and the rest is just going to get better. Well, we know from research that we've done at EAB that summer melt can be particularly acute for low income and underrepresented students. Um, often the people who are maybe uh, struggling the most to be able to pay for college, um, who may not have a good support system at home, not because people don't care, but they're just not in a position to be providing a lot of advice. So um, what, what's your advice? Do you think schools should try and, and adopt a more personalized approach for students that you know may be in groups who in general are just, it's just harder for them? Maybe you could share um, your, your thoughts about those groups. Jenny, what do, what are you doing at Louisville? So, so we did a program um, that we had actually done physically, you know, a, around the country and, and throughout the Commonwealth and, and on campus um, in the past called Coffee with the Cards. So we're the Louisville Cardinals, right? Um, and so we were doing this actually in coffee shops. Um, but uh, when we pivoted to virtual, we decided to still do these appointments and um, we enticed people with a $5 gift card, okay, uh, to Starbucks. And we figured out a simple way to do it. And um, it, it gave students, and we particularly focused on those low-income first-generation students, it gave those students uh, anywhere from a 30-minute to a 60-minute private one-on-one -on -one appointment where they didn't have to feel intimidated because they were sitting in a room full of people, right? Um, and they could ask their questions and we could kind of go through a check on them and give them individual information about what placement tests they needed, what their, you know, answer questions about their financial package, help them through next steps. Some of those things that we know that they were getting guidance from um, in their high schools, through their community-based organizations, um, and some of those things that just people who have the benefits of having parents who've gone to college or are connected um, get that information. Those were highly, highly popular. And our staff, uh, so one thing I think that was interesting is our staff got a little disappointed because they thought that they were going to be a lot of decision-making, like close the deal types of meetings. And a lot of them were meetings with students who had already decided. Um, and one of the things we tried to tell our students when it comes to summer melt is, I mean, our, not our students, our staff, is that that actually was, was reducing summer melt and also beginning that retention process. That it helped that student have a relationship, strengthen that relationship with an individual on the student. And it, it helped that student not to have to navigate all that information that's out there because it's overwhelming. You know, and that's one of the things we've continued to, to try and tell our team is that we need to be giving students little bits of information and pulling them along. And when I talk about students, I'm talking about, you know, for us, it's that last 20%, right? Um, 
don't give them, do not, you know, don't give them the whole bale of hay is what the expression I use, right? Like give them what they need to move them along. Then they're not overwhelmed when they've done that, then help them to the next step. And so we've really tried to take those um, to kind of starting with coffee with the cards and now through kind of a, we call it our concierge campaign that we have going on right now with our last 20%. But it's basically that same thing, you know, just giving them that one-on-one type of attention um, that shows them that there is someone to help them, you know, help them through. Jenny, what I really appreciate about that is that don't give them the whole bale of hay. I'm going to I'm going to remember that. That's a great <laughs> phrase because often we tell people everything oh. and and they're, they 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 won't remember it. And I'm thinking I wouldn't remember it either. So this isn't about low income or disadvantage. This is about what do I need to know today? Like you said, to move forward. And then in a month, I can tell you the next things that you need to know to move forward. You don't need the whole banana or the whole bale of hay today. And I think that's just that's hugely important. So how, how are you thinking about that, Kelly? Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, our slogan this year with students, or our counseling staff has really just been, it's, we've got to meet students where they are. We've got to meet the families where they are right now, not where we think they should be, not where um, some pre-published timeline of, of benchmarks um, says they should be. So, you know, in October, while we were messaging FAFSA, we were very careful about just um, not shoving it down everyone's throat. <laughs> it's time to file a FAFSA. Everyone was kind of shell-shocked. You know, these are students who have just lost a season of a sport. They are students that are, you know, losing out on the college search, the traditional search um, process and all of the things, as one of my counselors says, she uses, and I steal that all the time. Um, it's all the things, you know, and they were missing those. And so we were, we were very deliberate about meeting people where they were, um, backing up things like we did back up our aid award packaging this year, um, put, it, put it out later because we just felt that at the time that we normally would have started doing that, there would have been a lot of deaf ears out there focused on things like trying to get bills paid, get people back to work, get my son or daughter through their senior year or or whatever was going on in everyone's household. And so it was very important just to meet families where they were. Um, we did a lot of, um, we do this every year, but we were a lot more intentional this year about um, the, the financial aid advising and the way it took place in our office, because our admissions team actually does that piece of the work um, in conjunction with training from our financial aid department. So they're cross-trained and um, they, they, we had a mission this year um, to really, again, utilize what people were getting used to, which was Zoom, right? Everybody, a year and a half ago, if I told a parent, you need to get on a Zoom meeting, they'd have been like, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. I, I don't know how to do that. I, you know, it doesn't sound exciting to me. And now everybody's in Zoom land. And we said, you know what? Let's just do this whole Zoom campaign for financial aid appointments. And we had hundreds of people take us up on these. Just sit down, go, you know, depth sounding is what I call it. It's just sort of, you know, let's go over the package. Let's talk about it. Let's not ask for things like, um, does this look good to you? Are you going to be able to afford this? Are you ready to deposit? But just, do you understand it? Do, do you need help with it? Do you, do you have questions I can answer to just really, again, meet people where they were, acknowledge that. Everybody needed a little bit of extra love this year. And I think that was really, really important. And I think it went a long way with families. It's just sort of what I call admissions 101. It's like just back to the basics, build relationships, be consistent, communicate, um, and just make sure people get what they need. And I, and I think that was that was important. And it was um, it was it's part of it's authentic to kind of what we do anyway, but I think families really felt it and appreciated it more than ever just because of the kind of year it's been. 
So the common gestures went a lot, I think, farther this year than maybe they have in years past. But but that was very important to us to do that um, for all students. But as you mentioned, for the for some of those underserved students, um, where we're located near the Pittsburgh area, we have a large population of students that come to us from our, our city schools and surrounding area. And, um, you know, it was really important to us to pay special attention to those students um, because they, again, lacked access to school counselors, all the things that we know are important to them and um, really were intentional about working with those school counselors as well, not just the families, but what can we do to help you? What can our university do to support you? Not to get your students to arm you, but just to help you survive this year with all of your students. Um, and, and I think that that was an important thing that we felt was um, helpful in recruiting students, but also just being a good partner in the community and making sure the schools knew that we were there to support them because they were having a, a tough year like everyone else. So, yeah. Wow. Well, um, I appreciate what you said about getting back to basics, because this was a year where um, even though it is definitely, I think, harder to build relationships in a virtual world, that people need those relationships more than they ever did because they're harder to get. And, and empathy and caring, you know, those are those are words that I think go a long way with families. And and of course, we all care about our enrollment results for our college or university this year, but you're, there's a lot of buying goodwill that goes on with the kinds of activities that the two of you are describing. Good word of mouth. You know, they cared about me. They cared about my circumstance. They reached out to me. They helped me. Um, and, and I, and I felt, and I felt heard and valued. I mean, this is, this is huge. So that that's going to pay you dividends going forward. You know, when we think about MELT, um, it's not just new students, but we, when you think holistically about enrollment, there's also, you know, uh, the risk of continuing students deciding to stop out. Um, maybe economic disruption has finally caught up with their family. You know, maybe maybe they were in a virtual learning environment last year and they're like, oh, yeah, no, not so much. I didn't love that. And and they're thinking differently. Are there are there any plans? Maybe, Kelly, you could start. Are there any things that you've done to sort of what I guess I would say re-recruit or re-enroll continuing students that that you identified it being a, as being at risk? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Madeline, and and obviously incredibly important to all schools. Um, we always say it's it's more efficient to retain a student than it is to try to recruit more to replace them. And so, um, retention is is obviously on our radar all the time, every year, in every circumstance. But this year in particular, because there's so much more risk involved with with those numbers changing and shifting due to the what's going on in the environment. But um, yeah, we've spent a, a good bit of time and a lot of discussion at the senior leadership level at the university um, with ways that we can, um, you know, support the students, number one, to make sure they have what they need to return or to at least understand what their circumstances are that would prevent them from returning to see wh where we can support, where we can help. Um, we are working right now, our, our dean of students and their whole team is doing a phenomenal job of just making sure that every student's accounted for. If you haven't registered, we know why, we know where you are, we know what's causing you to, to not register at this point in time for the fall. Um, and we're trying to work through those individual situations and they are all different. Um, you know, I, I'm staying out altogether. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm putting it on hold for right now or, or you know, just a multitude of reasons. Um, we have a task force in place that has spent a lot of time um, deliberately looking at ways of, of, to distribute her funds. Um, that's been, I think, key. And I know Jenny and I talked about this a bit on a, on a pre-call, but um, just the university has worked very hard and diligently to make sure that the dollars that um, we've received to support students are going to the 
those who need it most, those who um, you know, are in special circumstances. We reserve dollars to do appeals and, and special considerations. And so we spent a lot of time dissecting our returning student population to, to identify where are the pockets where this money could do the most good for the most students to support them and keep them enrolled at the university. So I think that I'm sure all schools across the country who, who benefited from those funds, which are so necessary, um, have, are looking at ways to you know, be strategic about how you support the greatest number of students who have the greatest need. And that's where we've, we've spent a lot of time this summer and spring very heavily focused on that. And I, I think that's important. And I think probably all schools would agree with that. So Jenny, so, maybe you could share some of the uh, work that you've done and also the incredible innovation at the University of Louisville in terms of your allocation of those HERF funds. I mean, it's astonishing what, you, what you're accomplishing. So one of the one of the things, and it, it's not huge numbers, but it's a, a you know uh, that we're really proud of, and we kicked off um, on um, Wednesday of last week was a um, a math program we call Math Accelerator, and we are using HERF dollars as an incentive to have students who've already deposited, already enrolled, uh, but when they go to their advising appointment. Uh, their advisor knows that they they've they're behind in mathematics, okay, and so they're entering one of our two um, two courses that lead into our general education courses. So we have um, forty online and forty in person, okay, students who are doing these courses, and they get an incentive for completing the course, one hundred percent participation. And then they get another incentive from HERF dollars if at the end of the fall semester they have passed the, the math class that they placed into at the end of the at the end of the program. Um, and you know, we had just except for a handful of students all showed up on day one and have been participating. And um, you know, I you know, I've I've long been a believer in the fact that one of the ways to improve our graduation rates and our retention rates is to really help those students who struggle with mathematics um, and getting over that hurdle. So so we kind of use this as an opportunity to have some dollars for incentives for that program and to also know that for some of our programs, for some of those students um, who struggle with math to begin with, doing math in an NTI environment um, only made their issues worse. Um, so, so that's that's one of the things that we're doing. Um, we also have an um, we call it our alert team. It's enrollment lightning response team, um, and we have uh, some faculty members on that group. We have some group some folks from student affairs, um, and so and then we have our student success coordinators. Um, but one of the things that we had not done in the past to reach out to students who had not registered yet to come back for the you know an, an, the, the next fall semester was to really drill down and look at the student organizations that they were a part of. Um, and so we have gotten our, our advisors for those student organizations actively involved so they can reach out um, and then connect those students with the people who have access to the HERF dollars if that's the need or if there's other barriers that is keeping the student um, from coming back to school. Um, and then we, we did some things down all the way. We had typically done that with academic advisors we had never done juniors and seniors um, and actually gone to the faculty in the departments who actually, you know, they know those students. They've, you know, they have mentored relationships with those students um, to see why those students were not yet registered or if those students had always been a full-time student, why were they only registered, you know, for part-time classes for the fall, you know, was there, you know, and, and do we have the resources? 
So we've taken our HERF dollars, our student success coordinators have access to a portion of those institutional dollars. Um, our financial aid team now has access to some of those dollars. So um, we're doing, um, um, and you're required by HERF dollars to do a certain amount of outreach uh, about professional judgment for families who may have lost income due to the pandemic. Um, on July 27th, we're having a virtual um, presentation to walk uh, first-time freshman students and transfer students through what that professional, what a professional judgment is, um, and then both for continuing students and new students um, that are enrolled. Our, our our financial aid counselors have access to some HERP dollars for students that maybe they don't get to the eligibility for need-based aid, um, but they're still they're still struggling. Um, and so those are those are some of the things that we're doing to to utilize you know to utilize our HERF dollars. And, um, and then we'll go out this week um, with our institutional grants, our institutional, you know, what we call our automatic HERF grants, um, about $8 million. It's a lot of money, right? <laughs> um, so sure the people that are gonna get that will, will think, oh, oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Yeah, um, you know, for some of these students, it's their third, um, you know, for some of the particular low-income students, it will be their third um, HERF payment that they've gotten. And those payments have gone a long way in helping them, um, you know, with rent, loss of job hours, um, you know, maybe parents not able to contribute at the same level. I think, um, you know, not not everything shows up in, you know, in our FAFSA data. And um, so I, I do think that loss of income is something that's been hard for us to measure. Loss students' loss of income. Yes, right. Well, you know what I love. What I love about what has happened at the University of Louisville is a lot of times at big, comprehensive institutions, people are sort of like, "We don't have the capacity. We don't have the resources, you know, to reach out to students individually." And although I never worked at a big, comprehensive university, I often think, "Oh, horse feathers." <laughs> Because you have you have a ton of people on campus who are absolutely devoted to student success. Faculty members love their students in their in their majors. You know, people that are in campus life, you know, they love their student leaders and people active in organizations. And, and if you can tap into that love for students, it becomes not an administrative burden. It becomes a I want to help a student today opportunity and, and to allow them to continue and finish and, and fulfill their dream of an education. And that, you know, again, you're the poster child for, oh no, yes, we can. We, you know, and we all know you won't save every student, you won't save every family, but there's been this enormous good faith effort that, that crosses across campus. It's not just a few people who, this is my job, so I do it. It's everyone who just wants to help students be successful. And I, um, your capacity to tap into that good internal goodwill has been, uh, has been phenomenal. Oh, just quickly, are there are there any other institutional barriers that you identified, like registrations, a uh, pain in the neck for students, or or other things? Are there any other institutional barriers you identified that you were able to sort of we were uh, able to streamline or minimize those barriers to make it better for students? Could be new students, could be returning. So, so we did more aggressively. Um, let students who uh, didn't make our scholarship renewable criteria, we did more aggressively 
get them to appeal. Um, you know, because particularly those first time freshmen who we know we did not onboard fully, right? We know they didn't get that sense of belonging. We know they couldn't walk right into the tutoring center, right? That's on uh, that's on us. I mean, as as much as we you know tr tried to overcome lots of barriers, it was particularly for that group of students. It was not the same experience, um, and so we really tried to show those students some grace by letting them know, you do this, and and we will do something for you. Right? We don't know how much we can do for you, but we will do something for you. Um, and 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 we think we were very we were very successful in that in that measure. What kind of feedback did you get, Jenny? Did student? I mean, I, it just feels like students would be super appreciative. You know, like thank you for reaching out a helping hand. Oh, it's like anything else. You get some people who are super appreciative, and and some people are like, you know, <laughs> why can't you do more? So, um, you know. <laughs> Well, I guess I guess what I'd love for you to do is if each of you could wrap up with, um, you know, what are your what are your sort of top pieces of advice that you would give your friends and peers across the country who are who are, are perhaps um, haven't been as creative on their own, but who hopefully will be listening to this podcast and go, oh, my gosh, we could try that or we could tweak that, you know, this initiative that they had and we maybe we could find a way to make it work for our campus. So. Your top three pieces of advice. Kelly, I'm going to start with you. Okay. Um, I would say most importantly is to, you know, be nimble. Just always be nimble and be willing to change and, and, and redo and do over. And so the, so the, you know, the idea is that we did it this way, because I've actually talked with some folks who have said, you know, we're going to, we're finally back to the, doing it the way we did it before COVID. And I thought, why would you go back? Why? you know, why would you not be going forward and trying to learn from what we've all learned from this year? So I think just embracing what you've learned and be nimble is really important. I also think that schools, I mean, just my observation is that um, I think we all better be prepared to reset yearly. I, I don't think this is going to be a unique thing that this year it was COVID. And so now we're changing things. I think every year schools are going to have to get used to um, rewriting the strategic enrollment plan a little bit or making some addendums to it on a yearly basis because the population is it's, it's evolving so quickly and I, I mean that in terms of um, the way they consume information the way they research colleges um, the the ways that they expect to be communicated with both parents and students and so I think we there is no playbook anymore I think there's a there's a foundation to the way we do our work but I think that there is um, there's going to be a need and a, and a demand from our market to, you know, we've got to reevaluate every year and continue to take what works, get rid of what doesn't. Don't be, you know, no hurt feelings about my ideas aren't good ideas anymore. It's like just the constant moving. It's just a constant rotation, I think, for the foreseeable future. I think as we look towards the demographic cliff and all the things we know are coming, um, I just think that, that schools should sort of brace themselves for the idea that um, you need, you can't stand still. You, you've got to just be evolving. And and I think lastly, it would be, you know, to look at the resources you have within, because we're all we're all limited in terms of dollars and, and um, you know, hands on deck, let's say. And so it's it's sort of look, look internally and see what you already have, um, see who you have. You know, like you were saying, Jenny, you've obviously galvanized a great team of people across campus there to do all this good work. And RMU has, has done the same. We've, we've incorporated, you know, we've got committees with people from IT and student life, and we're all working together to look at 
how can we unpack this data and learn about this group so we can do more for them? And I think it's just really looking internally at your experts that you already have on your campus. And how do we utilize who's here? Because everybody at the end of the day, as I tell everyone, you know, we're all on the same team. So, you know, how do we get those, those people that do great work and, and understand parts of the university that we don't? How do we put those brains all together um, and think about the best ways to serve our students going forward? And, and I think that a lot of schools might be surprised to find they've got so many internal people that can, have so much capacity to do so much good work. Um, and so, you know, I would, I would say those are some really just important things to focus on. And, and those are things you can think about in a positive way. These are positives, right? Let's look at what we've got, not what we don't. And how do we, how do we harness that to, to get to our, to our goal? Thanks, Kelly. And, and Jenny, what about you? So, you know, I think that one of the things that one of, you know, we keep talking about the, you know, the, the words we use so much and, you know, two of those other words are to show, you know, to, to show students compassion and grace. And, you know, I think we all, you know, um, work to do that and to help students, you know, through situations and, you know, um, and show that grace. I mean, I said that, I mean, I say that all the time. And I don't think that's something we just need to be doing um, in these times. I think it's something that we all, we always need to be doing. Okay. And we always, you know, we need to be doing as much as possible to, um, you know, to, to kind of meet that student where they are and to listen to them and to help them reach their educational goals. I think we learned, you know, education is known, higher education is particularly known for being moving slowly, right? We learned that we can move fast and we should not accept going back to moving slowly. We can make decisions and make change. We can adjust policies. We can do things quickly when we need to. Um, and again, in order to be competitive, we are going to need to take that lesson and, and, and move back and stay with that, okay? Um, the other thing is, you know, when you think about our students and Grace, I think we all learned as managers how to be, how to work with our team and how to keep our team, you know, their mental health and to show them grace and help them balance their family and work life. And I always thought that I was really good with helping, you know, staff and, and balancing. I have a lot of young mothers <laughs> on my team. Um, but I think I, I moved forward as a manager in, in understanding and taking care of my team because if I don't care, take care of my team, they can't take care of our students. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I thought I think that um, um, our staff and our teams are, are so hopefully that's a lesson that we all moved forward, not to say that we weren't there, but that we moved forward, because particularly in enrollment management with the pressures we have and with everything changing and how, you know, you know, like you said, Kelly, just having to, you know, it's always going we're always going to have to be reevaluating and changing things up. Um, you know, we we have a tendency to get burnt out. Um, and so I think there's some lessons from this time that we've learned that we'll move forward. Okay, those are super impactful. And I want you to know I was making notes because uh, these are some very sage words of advice. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that our listeners will appreciate them. I certainly have appreciated them. So um, I want to say thank you for, for giving us um, 
at least a big part of that bale of hay, Jenny, <laughs> and, and some of all the things, Kelly, because those are both great expressions. Um, but I really want to thank both of you again. So Kelly Lorenzi and Jenny Sawyer, we really appreciate you joining us for Office Hours with EAB. Thank you so much. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, Madeline. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. Join us next week when EAB's Michael Fisher and Michael Varda share findings from a new EAB survey that reveals how university human resources officers are shaping post-pandemic remote and hybrid work policies for campus employees. Thank you for your time.